Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. Dynamism in the biosimilar market persists, and to provide the best options for patients, pharmacists are compensating by evolving their interactions in a market where third-party payers seem to hold all of the cards. Today on Verified Rx, I'm joined by two of my Vizient colleagues who will give their take on the matter. Dr. Shannon Smallwood, Senior Pharmacy Executive, and Dr. Stephen Lucio, Senior Principal in the Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director and your program host. Welcome, Stephen and Shannon. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Shannon, tell me a little bit about yourself and your role at Vizian. Absolutely. I've been a Pharmacy Network Director for three and a half years leading performance improvement and cost savings initiatives for a group of hospitals, as well as sharing those initiatives and projects with my peers that lead other pharmacy networks. That has led me to my biggest project, which is picking up the biosimilar portfolio in 2019. I launched our oncology biosimilar conversion and contracting initiatives and have managed those for the last couple of years. It was no small feat at the time and obviously remains very challenging, but also exciting to see how this field and also our members' responses to it have evolved over the last couple of years. We are very thankful for both of your work and really happy to have you here today. We've been focused on biosimilars for quite some time now. What's new or top of mind at the moment? Top of mind for me is the approaching launch of the adalimumab biosimilars, as well as a handful of other first-to-market potential launches throughout 2023 and 2024. Those are opening the door to new therapeutic areas and dispensing locations like the retail setting. These are top of mind not only because of the significant savings potential, but how hospitals are going to have to further evolve their payer-responsive strategies. I completely agree with Shannon. The expansion of competition for Humira And by extension, the impact that it's going to have in the pharmacy benefits space is going to be quite dramatic. We've had a lot of experience in the medical benefit circumstance when it comes to biosimilars, but this is going to be different. We obviously have to be prepared for it. That's why we're talking about it today. I would also caution the listeners to put in context what we expect when it comes to biosimilar Humira. Definitely, it's going to be huge, but it's also going to be a longitudinal type of experience. Things are not going to change day one. In fact, we're only going to have one product in the first six months. We are going to have to make sure we're patient enough to get the full realization of the impact that is there in the potential for savings. So we're in it for the long haul. Absolutely, yes. And it's been pretty long already. (laughs) A lot of patients involved. So what conversations do hospitals need to be having to prepare for these situations? They need to have a philosophical conversation at each site about how aggressively they actually want to engage in the biosimilar conversion space. It may not be a good opportunity for every hospital or every specialty pharmacy to lean in and work on maximizing adalimumab conversions. They've had these conversations in the oncology infusion space already, but this is a new area I don't know exactly what it's going to bring. I've been hearing of two major philosophies. You can either chase that maximal margin and kind of change your product and lean into iterative formulary adjustments, or you can work on decreasing your spend. Those tend to be two very different buckets. 
Along the lines of what Shannon is describing, there needs to be involvement from all the different internal stakeholders that impact how medications are used and how they're paid, how they're covered, because given the complexity of the market that it will ultimately manifest itself with Humira, we're going to see the ongoing evolution of that value equation. Again, it's a patient's It's not going to be a one and done. Every new molecule will alter the market. Every additional decision the payers are going to make will alter the decision. And that's why, as we've seen with many of our members, they have that ongoing prospect and they know how to manage these elements, not just within pharmacy and not just with prescribers, but again, with managed care, with the finance departments, all of that working very well and seamlessly is really what you have to get to because there is just going to be this ongoing progression of the opportunity. Opportunity. We at Vizient have been working to develop resources like a checklist that people can walk through and understand what it might look like, how you resource for conversions, what key indicators might prompt you to make a decision, depending upon the dynamic of your particular organization, your particular patient population, the types of payers that you have. Agility and patience are really critical to this conversation. We can make sure that we link to those resources in the show notes for this episode. So thank you, Stephen, for sharing that. Stephen, I think that's a great point about the ongoing conversation. That's what's going to be key because it takes time and energy to evaluate each one of these biosimilar spaces and then do it again. Helping to prioritize which one is most important, leaning in and understanding, should I even be converting in this space? Am I going to maintain a positive margin versus fully maximizing a margin? Because that just changes so frequently that our members aren't going to be able to adjust every time a price changes. Absolutely. This is something that you've both dealt with as practitioners. You do these conversions, and historically, we've done them in health systems for many years. And then as soon as you do, it seems like, oh, well, there's now a new price point. There gets the point of diminishing returns of how frequently do we need to change for all the resource investment that's going to be incurred if you did that. And then the other element, again, on the medical benefit side, we obviously care about the patients, but it's less dramatics. But when it comes to Humira and a pharmacy benefit, a self-administered product, you really can't be changing for the patient element every single time. You have to understand how you're really going to characterize that value and be able to actually give time to realize that value before making another change. That has a lot of impact for the payer community as well as the prospective biosimilar manufacturers in terms of their being patient to let you make those determinations and then work through them. The voice of the payer is getting louder, and I'm hearing more about how our providers and members are adapting. Shannon, what are you seeing out there? Payer coverage is always the number one barrier to biosimilar conversion. We've seen this in working directly with our members in the Pharmacy Networks program and more broadly through Vizient surveys. The payers do dictate which products will be reimbursed, whether we're looking at the outpatient infusion space or the retail space. But the fact is, payers only have a few options for the way that they do that. They can keep the reference product as their exclusive formulary agent. They can drive conversion toward an individual biosimilar by removing the reference product from formulary, or they can assign parity to one to a handful of similar products within the molecule. So all of those are covered. That third option in the adalimumab space, especially, is not going to drive conversion. Parity does not drive conversion. It only opens the door to it. Instead, members can be the ones who build programs around the different scenarios that the payers have, and they can select the best products for their sites. 
payer coverage is a barrier, but it is one that we've seen for the last few years. This is a new space. So the programs that have built a way around the barrier are the ones who are going to be successful. Very encouraging. I would also build upon those great comments, getting back to the difference between what we've experienced before and what we're experiencing now, hopefully providers keeping this in context, you have to think, what is the impact to the patient? And your calculation cannot end, and probably people already understand this, and it doesn't end with just what is the value to the health system overall or to your specific organization. When you're talking about a pharmacy benefit product and copay, you also have to figure in what is going to be the impact for the patient at the end. It just highlights the complexity of this. Therefore, you want to do as much and have as much information in advance because the decision you make is likely going to be somewhat lasting and you don't want to then have to retool your strategy and create even more inefficiency and lost value opportunity. I really appreciate that. We've said that on the podcast before that the patient really needs to be at the center of our decision making and in everything that we do in healthcare. The patient absolutely comes first. The key here is that the patient is not the one driving the request to change. And we need to optimize the biosimilar space, not putting the patient in jeopardy and not bringing in things that will cause them to not fill their prescription with the new product down the road, but also bring in the payers and the benefit to the pharmacy system because you have to find that driver. You have to find who is driving this market. The payer is not driving the market. If a patient is paying less or if a patient is getting something incrementally from it in a positive fashion, that will drive biosimilar conversion. Otherwise, we're at risk of sitting in a similar space to where we saw infliximab, which was the first infusion center drug that we had to deal with payers and the barriers that they provided, I am seeing that some sites have done an amazing job developing these prior authorization programs that help optimize biosimilar conversions. I call this a payer responsive model. Pharmacy teams determine their current payers and they see which products are preferred or covered. And they start with that 80-20 model or maybe a 60-40 model. Which one can I get covered the most? And they're going to move patients to that product for maximal financial benefit. Then you do it again. So you walk through that process again. You say, okay, I converted 60%. What about the next group? Who can I convert to? Maybe it's the same biosimilar product or maybe it's a different model. Trying to decrease that risk of having every single biosimilar sitting on your shelf. We don't want to be in that situation. We know that that's not a safe situation, both in the EMR and in an inventory situation, but they can feed that information back to the prior authorization team. They can say, this is our one to two preferred products. It's the one I see the best pricing on. It's the one I see the best patient benefit on. They can feed that information back to the prior authorization team so that they try to get that preferred product covered first. It's maybe the one that they think is best for patient uptake. It's the best for them financially. So that's how we're going to drive down healthcare costs. And it's going to save money for patients and help streamline the process if we can usually use our preferred product. The challenge, of course, is that prices, reimbursements, payer coverages, they change frequently. Back to our original point, this has to be an ongoing iterative process in this dynamic model. It takes time and energy to build and maintain, and systems may not have had a lot of that time lately. We recognize that. So pharmacy teams are only going to engage in that if it's financially justified for their systems. I appreciate the nod to medication safety. 
where does all this activity fall in the priority list for our providers and how are they handling the workload? I think that's one of the biggest challenges because this is not the only thing that people have to deal with. They're dealing with very challenging issues. Fortunately, and knock on wood here, it is still a pandemic type circumstance. We're still wrestling with bringing that to a final conclusion. RSV, it was just in a conversation and we hear, especially from our pediatric organizations, how complex it is. There is a tremendous strain on staffing and we don't have enough technicians, pharmacists, physicians, whatever. It can seem like I have to do all of this work and you want me to do biosimilars as well. That is good to understand and for us, I think, to have reasonable expectations of what people can process. As soon as this first biosimilar launches, everyone is not going to switch to it. There has to be a rational approach to how we go about it. Key to that is understanding what all of these different initiatives should be driving for us. Obviously, biosimilars have an inherent value and benefit in and of themselves because it is something where we need competition for the high-cost biologics. And we need to finally have competing molecules for these medications and franchises that have been in existence for 20 years as sole source products. And so all of that is a good thing in and of itself, but all that Shannon has been describing, we've been talking about engaging with your managed care people, engaging with your advocacy individuals, the finance individuals, patients, understanding that that should benefit you in other ways beyond biosimilars because other key issues that people are dealing with, white bagging and the continued influence of payers on the provider landscape. Also, site of care challenges in terms of where you can even administer medications. All the work that you might be engaged with around the topic of biosimilars should benefit you elsewhere. That's why it's so important to look at this, not just in isolation, that this is the only thing that we're talking about, but as a broader context of aligning the cost element, the reimbursement element, and most importantly, trying to drive better access to patients and get these biologics to more populations. And that's something that Europe has done very well. And of course, their healthcare system is different, but they've been able to quantify how many more patients are getting therapy since the advent of biosimilars. That's really critical for the provider community and the payer community to drive together to really show the benefit of all this effort that we've been talking about. I agree. It really depends how each individual member is going to prioritize this space. We've covered that a little bit already, but one of the key points is the fact that maybe they're going to lean in on maintaining the rebates that already exist in the market. Maybe that's a great answer right now, but do you have a process to evaluate when those rebates go away? We know they won't last forever. We know that that is not a good long-term strategy. Maybe it helps you prioritize or establish a timeline for when you'll take on these biosimilar conversions. But again, it's all just about understanding the full scope of where these biosimilars are playing into your health system, where the biosimilar conversion can provide benefit, who's going to control the drivers of that conversion, and then optimizing that to make sure that we're being good stewards of healthcare dollars. It's definitely going to be interesting to see as this unfolds how our members and providers choose to approach this conundrum, this opportunity. This is such a complex and active space. How can Vizient help our providers? Vizient's biosimilar first model is very important. That is where we're looking at being appropriate stewards of healthcare resources. We're in general trying to drive conversion to biosimilars because again, we believe that long-term strategy is what's best for the healthcare industry. Largely driving down costs for patients first, for members 
and just developing that diversity of products in the pipeline and developing that diversity of products being used is just going to benefit absolutely everybody. Wonderful. So what can we expect for the future? A lot of hard work, I think, is one. And again, continuing to elevate the perspective of pharmacy, pharmacists, and making these clinical decisions, managing the logistics of these products, and again, tying together that revenue reimbursement opportunity to benefit the overall cost of care and the patient. And again, that's just something germane to what pharmacy has been having to do and will increasingly be asked to do, whether it's biosimilars or new technologies, cell therapies, gene therapies, you name it. There's so many opportunities within the biosimilar landscape to learn other elements. As we've gone through this, I think it's been an opportunity to help people understand how medications are regulated, because that's something that even we as pharmacists probably don't appreciate, and definitely the physicians do not. The legacy of drug shortages has really heightened awareness and interest of manufacturing, and that's germane to this topic as well. So there's, again, biosimilars, and then there's all these transitional things that are associated with biosimilars that hopefully we can learn and understand in order to make the investment of time more reasonable, more appropriate for pharmacists, for physicians, for patients. There are two things that I would say that will help also kind of as a surrogate of this. Number one, and this was a big conversation as we were early in the phase of biosimilars, but the whole question of interchangeability. One of the things we're trying to assess is to what extent is that necessary or not for the Humira products and how long it will it take to acquire? Will everyone invest in it? Just as Shannon was talking about, the payer changes that we know will happen and provider decisions that we know will happen are going to prompt patients to go from one product to another. So I think collectively, and not that that replaces FDA regulations or interchangeability, but that should help with any lingering concerns about are these molecules the same or are they different? Just by having the medications and having these different dynamics, that's going to take place. And then the other thing that really does speak to how we try and leverage our manufacturing capabilities is what we're going to be confronted with. There are six Humira biosimilars already approved. None of them launched, but, you know, we're getting there very closely. And then there's probably additional three or four more, at least, that are somewhere in the pipeline pretty far ahead. One thing that we really have to understand is whether it's Humira or any biologic or any small molecule, how do we align manufacturing capacity to best meet the needs that we have? Because do we really need 10 people to make a version of Humira? And will the market even sustain it? Or rather than having 10, could we have had five and five people make other competitors for other biologics that did not seem as lucrative or they just did not decide to do that? The biggest things from a supply standpoint is how do we apply the limited, the finite resources that we have for manufacturing to best support the market where competition is truly required. Very insightful. We've covered a lot of those topics on Verified Rx in the past, and we'll make sure that we link to those in the show notes. Some of the things that you've mentioned have implications for drug shortages and a lot of complexities there. So thank you. Shannon, your thoughts on the future? I think members are going to have to lean into this payer responsive model. In the short term, you know, maybe those first three to five years, interchangeability, I don't believe is going to carry that much weight. 
the reimbursement and the coverage is going to be at the NDC level. It's not going to say you can use one, two, or three of these products because of interchangeability. It's you can use one, two, or three of these products because that's what we, the payer, have specifically contracted for. It's not going to be easy. I think that's the really the biggest message here is there are so many things to keep an eye on. Members are going to have to build programs that don't just happen overnight. Leaning in to utilizing your Vizient resources, if you're a Vizient member, we're really leaning in on this space to say everybody is looking at each biosimilar at the same time. So let's not recreate the wheel. Let's all work together to drive these conversions, to drive savings in the healthcare industry. Again, just be good stewards of those healthcare dollars. What can we expect in the future? We can expect a lot of work, but we can expect a lot of work that everybody is doing at the same time. And we can lean in together with our healthcare friends and we can find the best ways forward. I'm very happy that Vizient has two experts such as yourself to be able to help our members through this very complex time as you've laid it out. So thank you so much, both of you, for joining us here today to share your perspective and expertise. I'm really glad you could be here. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. Thanks. It's been a fun conversation. Please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.